Um, I hope it's an encouraging message because when I give you my topic, hang with me, all right? <laughs> hang with me a little bit because I want to talk to you tonight about suffering, suffering in the, in the life of a believer. You know, when, when you think of suffering, there's all different types. It could be suffering that's related to our health. You might be sick. Our lot in life, maybe poverty. Uh, tragedy, maybe loss of, of family members or friends or uh, a, a dream that's been dashed, that, that kind of thing, disappointment. So all those things can, be, can lead to suffering in our lives. But I want to think of, I want to talk to you a little bit about suffering is specifically related to or because of who we are in Jesus, that kind of suffering. And other you know, forms that this suffering can take, trials, persecution. Mm-hmm. Peter talks about fiery ordeals. I like that. He's got really graphic language there talking about fiery ordeals. Jesus talked about tribulation. So when these, this suffering comes our way, how do we handle it? What do we do with it? I want to talk a little bit about that tonight. Do we look at it as an indicator that we're doing something wrong and I need to t- change my tack, change my course, saying, you know, I'm s- this, going down this path, sharing Jesus on campus, I'm starting to get some heat for it. Maybe I need to scale back a little bit. Maybe I need to be a little more culturally relevant. Maybe I need to soften the, the message and be, to, to avoid that. Is, is that how we look at it, that it's an indicator that I need to change what I'm doing? What do you think? Any? No. Okay. It wasn't just a rhetorical question. Yeah. It's so. Okay. Good. Um, because Jesus told me, told us we should expect it. In the last, this is John fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, and seventeen. You know, in John seventeen is when he's he does his high priestly prayer. And I think it's actually starting with 13, 13, 14, 15, and 16, and then 17. It's, these are some of the last words he spoke to his disciples before he was crucified. And in John 15, after he talks to them about abiding in the vine, and without me you can do nothing, he says to them, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me before it hated you. So if you were of the world, well, the world would love its own, but because you are not of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they're also going to persecute you. If they kept my word, they'll also keep yours. So he's telling us kind of straight up, this is something that is part of the normal life of following Jesus is to be expected. Um. Why, why do you think that is? Any thoughts? Why, why do you think that it's kind of a package deal, that if we're following Jesus, we're, there's going to be some suffering involved? Now, I'll take a little aside first, you know, before we get into this. And, and as, as citizens of this country, we probably don't encounter suffering at the same level that, that, that they were um, experiencing then. Those days may be coming. I think most of us can see the culture, the climate is changing fairly quickly, but we've been incredibly blessed here in that we have not had to encounter suffering. You know, I say we've been blessed because sometimes I think that without suffering, sometimes the church tends to get fat, lethargic, and lackadaisical 
and there's something about persecution that injects life into into the church. But um, those of our, you know, many of our friends here in the Cornerstone that come from other countries and have decided to follow Jesus while they are here and they go back home, that might be a real concern for them. That might be something they have to face. But why, getting back to the question, why do you think that following Jesus eventually, it's in some form, is going to lead to suffering. I think that we forget, since the gospel is such good news to us, who have surrendered and followed Jesus, it's hard for us to remember maybe our perspective on it before, that the gospel is an offense to the world. And why is it an offense? It's such good news. You're, you're, you can be cleansed from your sins and, and saved from a, an eternity of destruction and, then, and, and spend eternity in, in paradise with Jesus instead. So why is that an offense? Because it makes people come to terms with who they are, for one thing, that they, are, they stand in need of a Savior, that they are undone without one. And people don't. They, they really don't want to be faced with that with that truth. And I think that's one of the reasons why we can have opposition and which leads to suffering as followers of Jesus. The other is to remember that the real powers that are against us are unseen. There's a spiritual war waging and Satan does not want the good news of the gospel to to reach any more, you know, to reach people. So he's going to oppose us using his, you know, people that he can uses his agents here on earth. So that's another reason why we're opposed. Well, we may have to counter, encounter suffering. So Jesus said we can expect it. He also said uh, at the end of the next chapter, at the very end before he starts his high priestly prayer, in chapter 16, he says, in this world, you will have tribulation. So that's, oh, really? <laughs> but then he gives us a promise. But take courage, I have overcome the world. So there's hope. There's hope for us. And just in a little little aside, I want to look at the apostles. Think of this scene after Jesus was crucified and how they're, they're hiding out someplace. They're huddled in a house, afraid they're going to be discovered, afraid they're going to be uh, maybe imprisoned or face the same fate that, that Jesus did, be, be executed, and they're afraid. But then something happens between then and the day of Pentecost and the rest of whatever, you know, everything else that happens in Acts. And of course, the resurrection happens. Jesus appears to them. He ministers to them. And then he's, he ascends. And then the day of Pentecost comes. And the Holy Spirit's poured out on them. And then the rest of Acts is just this amazing story of signs and wonders and boldness and, you know, walking in the face of adversity. And, and the, there's... There's one verse in Acts 5, Acts 5.41, and the, the apostles had just been imprisoned. Peter, and, and the text doesn't say who else, but it says Peter and some apostles had been put in jail. And then in the middle of the night, it was an angel came down and let them out of jail, even though the doors were still locked, and they go in and start preaching in the temple, <laughs> spreading good news in the temple. Of course, the... the um, High priest wasn't too happy about that, and they arrested them again. And then just some little 
trivia thing I think is kind of interesting. Gamaliel gets up and tells them, okay, guys, we should just let this thing run its course. Because a while ago, this guy from over here in Galilee, he or uh, this other region rose up and got some followers gathered to him, and then he fizzled out. And then this happened, and that guy fizzled out. So if, you know, if, if this is of man, it's going gonna, it's gonna to fade away. But if it's of God, you're not going to be able to stop it. And the cool thing about Gamaliel, he was Paul's teacher. Back when, when Saul was learning how to be a, a Pharisee, Gamaliel was his teacher. I, I just thought that was, was kind of interesting. Anyway, so they bring Peter and whoever the other apostles were that were with them, said, don't preach in this name anymore, and they flogged him. You know, they whipped him. That's, that's a pretty bad punishment, very painful, and they sent them on their way. And the word says that they, uh, the apostles rejoiced that they were considered worthy to suffer for the name. Oh, Lord, may I have that kind of heart. Because i got to tell you, this message is as much for me as it is for you. I don't like confrontation. I don't like suffering. And, and so I'm asking God, you know, this is a, a subject that's been on my mind for a while, that, that he would transform me, that I would walk in boldness in his name and not worry about what man thinks, what man can do to me. So I'm challenging myself, and I'm going to challenge you all with this as well. Um, so anyway, they go out, they're rejoicing, and I'm thinking, how, you know, how can we face suffering when that, with that same kind of spirit? The same kind of attitude. You know, how, how are we, how, what had happened to them that they were able to face it like that? Um, I, I think one of the, uh, couple, couple things. One is from uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 through 9. That's one if you can get that up on the, my head in the way. <laughs> Are you? <laughs> it's first, first Peter 1, verses 3 through 9. And Peter's done his intro, and he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable. It can't spoil. Okay? It's undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, are protected by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And then he goes, in this you greatly rejoice. It's kind of what the apostles were doing there. And this is Peter is writing it. He's one of the guys, he's, he was the uh, one that was being uh, flogged in that very instance. He goes, in this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. So that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. I submit maybe they, they had their eyes on the prize. They knew, first of all, they knew God's promise. They knew what was waiting for them. They had this uh, living hope that was waiting for them, that they have an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled, will not fade away, that nobody can take away from them. And so they, 
You know, and they've got this incredible gratitude to Jesus because he's the one that gave it to them. So, so what's a little momentary suffering here? I, I can endure that with joy. I think that might be a key to part of it. And I think another part of it was maybe the apostles saw, it, because it says they rejoiced, they were considered worthy to suffer for the, for the name. Maybe they th- thought, well, maybe we're looking enough like Jesus now that that is why they're persecuting us like they, like they persecuted him. And they rejoiced in the fact that the world could see that they belonged to him by their actions. I think that might have been part of it too, part of the reason they were able to rejoice in that. Well, my, my main text for this comes out of 1 Peter. 1 Peter, uh, this letter, first letter that he wrote has a common theme. And this theme of suffering keeps coming up throughout the letter. And the passage I just read is the first instance. Um, in, in the first chapter, and one of the reasons, if you look right here, I'm not good at looking it up there, but he says, if, he says, if suffering, if necessary. So sometimes it's necessary for us to go through this suffering. And he gives us the key as to why it's necessary a little bit further down in the text. You, you know, if necessary for a little while, you've been distressed by various trials so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, and then that this faith would result in praise and glory and honor. So that's part of the reason why it's necessary. We're being refined. And he uses these, this suffering, these trials, to perfect us, to refine us. 1 Peter 3, 13 through 15. The theme here is that we're blessed if we suffer for the sake of righteousness. So here it is again. Peter says, Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation, and do not be troubled, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. And then Peter makes sure he points out that that when we encounter suffering, that you go through this as a result of you doing something right rather than if we're doing something that's wrong, right? That, that we're, making, we're representing the Lord well in all of this. Right after the next verse, after the passage we just read, he says, it is better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. And of course, I think that the reason for that is fairly obvious. We want to be a good ambassador for Jesus. We want to represent him well. Because you know, he, he says that you keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. So that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds as they observe them, be put to shame and then glorify God. You know, to say that, you know, we were persecuting this guy and look at him. He's, yeah, you know, he, he's a good man, so... Not to say that it's always going to turn out that way. And then uh, Peter then says in 1 Peter 4, 12 and 13, it says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery, fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share in the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with with exultation. 
if you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. So, so again, he's telling us not to be surprised when these things happen. And then somehow our sharing in the sufferings of Christ is it's somehow linked or connected to the rejoicing that comes later. And I think that then gets back again to the apostles, why, why they were able to rejoice because they were kind of worthy to suffer for the name. Now, are any of you there? I mean, that this is a, this is such a indication of maturity and intimacy with Christ. And um, it, it's, it sets the bar pretty high. It sets the standard pretty high. And then Peter wraps it up at the end of uh, the end of the letter. After he, he's he's told them to be on the alert, um, that the devil's prowling around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Tells them to resist them. But then he says, after you suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To Him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. So that's in 1 Peter 5.10. And here's this idea again. Suffering is just for a little while. Now, when I say a little while, that's hard to quantify. Because there, there, that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be a day or two or a week or two, a month, a year. It might be. But in terms of eternity, this lifetime's a little while. And there, there are many people who suffered for the name of Jesus, that that is all they knew while they were here. On this, in this earthly life, that all they knew was suffering. Um, there was an excellent autobiography by Richard Warmbrand, who, if you know the Voice of the Martyrs publication, that was started by him. He was a political slash religious prisoner in the Romanian prison back in the 50s or 60s. I think the name of the book is Tortured for Christ. He was there for years and you know, gave glory to God through all of this. But his, and then he was released at one point and then went back in. Aaron, you, you, you know about Richard? Yeah. Yes. So his, his suffering was, in terms of eternity, was for a little while, but it was for the majority of his life. Okay. Is that something that, if Jesus asked us, asked you to do that, is this something we could do? And I'd, I'd like to, you know, a little bit later when we wrap up, is, is to spend some t time in prayer about that, that he would give us that kind of heart, that kind of perspective, that we'd be able to walk through these kind of trials and tribulations and stay true to him, stay faithful to him. So what is the purpose of suffering for the name of Christ? We've hit it on it a little bit. Um, we just talked about the, the, the verse in 1 Peter. Actually, I did not. That's not the one I did not cover yet. 1 Peter 4, 1 and 2. Peter writes, Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. Again, there's that refining, that refining influence in us that, that comes with suffering. Paul writes in, in Romans 5, most of you are familiar with this, 
with these verses where he says suffering leads to endurance, endurance leads to character, character leads to hope, and then hope does not disappoint. And James, in the opening of his letter, says, Consider it all joy, brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result in you so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So there it is again, common theme. This is not a kind of an isolated principle. This is a, a very common theme in, uh, throughout the New Testament and throughout the, the Bible as well. We'll, we'll take a look at uh, another, another case in, here in a moment. So here's a question. I think we've made the case that when we suffer for the name of Jesus, we're not to be surprised or to think something's wrong because Jesus told us to expect it, right? So how do we live? Do we live in a way that's careless, that's, and what I mean by that, that it would invite suffering or that you almost dare live in a way that kind of dares people, hey, look what I'm doing for the name of the Lord. I dare you to persecute me, you know, kind of in an arrogant way. Is that how, is that how God's expecting us? He talks about being wise as serpents and gentle as doves, right? So, and then I, there's a couple passages here, I think, that will make the argument that even though we're not supposed to, suffering is, is something that we're not supposed to shy away from or that is supposed to kind of get us off, off track, it's not something we're supposed to seek out either. Uh, in 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy 2, the first two uh, verses in 1 Timothy 2, Paul says, first of all then, I, I urge that, that all entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings, be made on behalf of all men, of those um, of, for kings and all who are in authority. Why? So that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. So he's saying, you know, guys, submit to the authorities, obey the rules, live in a peaceable way so that we can live in a peaceable way too. And then Peter also says it in, uh, in 1 Peter, he says that in at the beginning of verse, I mean, in, in chapter 2 and verse 13, so he tells his readers to submit to the authorities for the Lord's sake, to every human institution, whether the king who's in authority or governors is sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right, so that by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. So again, he's saying you, sh you should submit to the authorities. And then at the end of that passage, he says, honor all people, Love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. So, you know, don't go off the rails and <laughs> do things that are, you know, are you, where you're trying to stir up trouble. You know, try to live in a peaceable way. But on the other hand, Jesus has told us that if we walk and follow him, suffering is going to come your way. Does that make sense or does that seem like a contradiction? Does that make sense? Okay. The way I summed it up was, you know, and, and, you know, Peter then also says a little bit later, and we read it a few minutes ago, that he, you're always supposed to be ready to, to make a defense to everyone asks you to give an account for the hope is in, that is within you with gentleness and reverence. I would sum that up as having boldness with humility. You walk in boldness, but be humble. And I mentioned a little while ago that 
not only in the New Testament do we see this, but also throughout the Old Testament. Um, and those of you who are in church on Sunday, uh, Will's communion message hit on this just a little bit. I, I, th I thought he had a good message on his, his communion message. Uh, Elijah, you know, he, he brings out has the big showdown between the um, priests of Baal and him when he, they offer up the sacrifice and then he slays all the priests of Baal and he's walking in the power of the Lord and then Jezebel says, I'm going to hunt you down and kill you and he takes off and he runs and he runs off to this, to this remote place down on the mountain and the Lord says, what are you doing here, Elijah? He says, you know, they've... They've hunted down and, and, and killed all the prophets, and then I'm the only one that's still faithful to you. And me, they want to kill too. And but the, the Lord encourages him. He tells him, no, I still have, I think it was 7,000 that have not bowed the knee to Baal. Um, Jeremiah. And he, this is, I want to end with Jeremiah. You know, Jeremiah is referred to as the weeping prophet. He was a patriot. He loved his country. He loved his people, but the message of God was burning in him, and he, and he couldn't hold it in. And so he brought the news that nobody wanted to hear, and he was, he was severely persecuted for it. They threw him in a well to die, and uh, someone, I forget who it was, came along, and they, they pulled him out of the well and rescued him. Uh, he, he was treated very badly. And in Jeremiah 20... Starting in verse 7. I'm going to read it down through verse 13. Jeremiah says, O Lord, you have deceived me, and I was deceived. You have overcome me and have prevailed. I have become a laughingstock all day long. Everyone mocks me. I want to stop there for a second. You think, how many of you have read Jeremiah? Has everybody here read Jeremiah before? Have you ever noticed this passage? You only read it, kind of go, that's in the Bible? I mean, how, this is, uh, I mean, really, <laughs> a German, he can say that? Um, it's kind of raw, isn't it? But the reason I pause here, and the, the Psalms are, are full of passages like this too, where the psalmist is crying out, oh God, where are you? Oh God, how long? I just want to tell you, you can be honest with God. Walking through a trial, Walk through suffering is not going to be an easy thing to do. And just to, you know, we are called to rejoice, not necessarily to be happy, but to rejoice in the Lord and all this. But you can go through some deep, dark places while you're going through this, these, these times and be honest with God. So anyway, pressing on. For each time I speak, I cry aloud. I proclaim violence and destruction because for me, the word of the Lord has resulted in reproach and derision all day long. But if I say I will not remember him or speak any more in his name, then in my heart it becomes like a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary of holding it in, and I cannot endure it. For I have heard the whispering of many, terror on every side, denounce him. Yes, let us denounce him. All my trusted friends watching for my fall say, Perhaps he will be deceived so that we may prevail against him and take our revenge on him. But the Lord is with me like a dread champion. Therefore, my persecutors will stumble and will not prevail. They will be utterly ashamed because they have failed with an everlasting disgrace that, that will not be forgotten. Yet 
O Lord of hosts, you who test the righteous, who see the mind and the heart, let me see your vengeance on them, for to you I have set forth my cause. Sing to the Lord. Praise the Lord. Um, it's a pretty honest prayer. Um, and I just, you know, my prayer for me, for us, is that that his word would burn in our hearts like it does, like it did here for Jeremiah. Mm-hmm. That that we would truly experience that if we said to ourselves, I will not remember him or speak anymore in his name, then in my heart it becomes like a burning fire, mm-hmm. shut up in my bones, and I am weary of holding it in. And I cannot endure it. For, and the Lord would be with us like a dread champion. And that would be where we get our strength from. Not something we try to, you know, try to work up within ourselves and within our own flesh, within our own strength, but it would be the Lord living in us that, that has this passion and the zeal for his name and for, for, the, for his son that burns hotter than any fear we have of persecution or what man can do to us. And, and I would say to you that that's where real joy is because as we're, this process is happening, we're being refined. We're becoming more and more like Jesus. We're looking more and more like him. And as that happens, we... We walk in more of his joy. Well, before we pray, I just was wondering if you guys had any takeaways or comments or questions or anything you wanted to, that didn't sound right, didn't make sense, uh, or, or just anything you want to add? Anything you guys have? We sometimes think we're speaking for the Lord when we, we're talking to a lost person, let's say, and their behavior is something that we don't necessarily agree with, and we, we call them out on behavior, which is a kind of an uh, inflammatory situation. Instead of calling them to um, maybe speaking of, of what Christ has done in our life, instead of saying, you know, you shouldn't be doing that. that, that is, that's a way to destruction. Now, there might be a time to tell them that, but, but I, I think that you know, Jesus wasn't a legalist. Uh, he, he called people's hearts, called them out, and then, you know, he cleaned them up. But, but he didn't make them clean up first. And I think a lot of times as Christians, we want people to get clean first. And we want them to behave instead of, instead of looking at the heart. Okay? Yeah. Is that, um, it's not always going to be clean, I don't think, either, as far as how, how to do that. But if we go out looking for conflict. I remember, um, and I hope nobody's, this has been a long time ago, so hopefully nobody's knows or is related to this guy, <laughs> but about 20 years ago, there was a, there was an Arlington police officer who was an outspoken Christian, and he went on this crusade to wear a cross on his uniform when the, the uniform code prohibited it. But he said, I'm going to stand up for the Lord, and you can't tell me I'm not going to wear that cross. And he made it a, he, he try, tried to draw the line as saying, I'm being persecuted for my faith. Whereas, no, you're not really. You're, you're being divisive to call attention to yourself. I, I thought that that was, so that's, you know, he, he tried to find a, some, 
incident or some issue that he could call attention to. And, and, and then we just kind of look like the world that's looking for a lawsuit in every little, little detail. So I, I think that instead of just loving his fellow officers, his, his um, you know, people that he worked with and working for the community and let them know he was a follower of Jesus, he, he chose to make his big stand there. And I think he was just asking for a, a persecutor suffering. I, I think that a lot of the change that I've desired to see in my life has become, has distilled down more and more to more of a simple, instead of reading a lot of books on how to become more bold or, or walk in purity, you know, that I found that, especially when I was a younger man and issues of purity were difficult for me, you know, the, the battlefield of the mind and what I was looking at and all that thing. When I tried to do battle with it head on, I failed. When it, it began to fall off of me was when I just tried to spend more time with Jesus. When I, when I started filling my mind and his heart with his word and meditating on his word. And in my, I think my kind of life verse in the New Testament is in Romans 12, therefore be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Because I think that's where it happens. And I, I don't think there's any other way. I really don't. Nothing that's going to last. So if I'm going to become more bold, it's going to be because I become more like Jesus. I'm going to become more like Jesus by meditating on his word and allowing his spirit to change me. And that's the only way I really know how. Um, I'm frustrated by my by my progress a lot of times, or lack thereof. Um, but then there's moments when he just he just does something, you know, and it's it's kind of exciting. So, by the way, I gotta give a shout out to Matt he, in this area. You know, he takes my son, and they go roaming the neighborhoods of Arlington and want asking them if they want prayer and talking to them about Jesus, and that's I admire you for that. Yeah. So, any other anybody else have any thoughts on that? Yeah, my I think my mission field is um, I, I fly for American Airlines, and so the guys I fly with, I try to look for opportunities to for a word for something here or there. And there was a uh, it was interesting. I flew with a guy a few months ago who. Um, any I don't know some of you have been around Grace long enough to remember back when we were on Park Row and we did the feeding frenzy. And which was its big outreach to Arlington High, which is right across the street. And we, would, we were feeding 1,000 students every month. They'd come over there, we'd fry burgers or grill burgers for them and stuff. And we'd tell them the gospel, give them the gospel. And it was a neat time, <laughs> really a cool time. Joey remembers it, and Emma. What's that? Well, you're around town, weren't you? <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I flew with this guy who, I, you know, we always say, where are you from or where do you live now? And, and got to talk to him. And he had grown up, and he's about 20 years younger than me. So he, he had grown up two streets over from the house we lived in back in the 90s. And he was in high school then. And I said, oh, yeah, I, I lived right around the corner from you. I said, did you go to Arlington High? He said, yeah. I said, did you ever go to the feeding frenzy? He said, oh, yeah. And, um, and so that, we flew together for three days, so that just kind of simmered there for a while. 
And then the third day, he started opening up about his, his dad and about how his dad had betrayed his mom and him and how he was in, in the pilot. I called him Bill. Bill was interested in God, but they had not been raised in the church. And he'd visited some churches, and but he couldn't. He he wanted to know God, but he couldn't figure out why, why it had to be through Jesus. And and so there was an opportunity to talk, right there. And I just, you know, you kind of throw out little teasers and, and see if anybody if they'll bite. That just happened to be the way I do it. Um, uh, but something he said. Right before we, we shut down the engines, we're doing the checklist before we, you know, the last flight of the, of the last day of the trip. And he goes, you know, another thing that really bugs me, he says, people who say, well, you know, you can, all you got to do is ask Jesus to come into your life, then you're, you're going to heaven, and then they just continue to live just like they've always lived. And I said, wait a second. So that is not... That's not true um, faith in Christ. True faith in Christ, yes, we can come to him unconditionally. We don't have to change before we come to him. But once we give our lives to him, the evidence is is we become different people. We don't live like that anymore. So if there's people that you know like that, they don't really, they may say that they're a Christian, but they don't really belong to him. And I I said, you know, you're you're in good company as far as being um, frustrated with evildoers says, I want you to, do you ever read the Psalms? He said, I want you to go home and read Psalm 73. And you guys can read it afterwards, but it's David. He's like, really, he's just fed up with the success of, of those who do practice evil. Um, and, and so I followed up with him a few days later, and he, he really appreciated the Psalm and everything. I don't know what, like you said, I don't know what God's going to do with that. I didn't feel the need to try to close the deal. But I wanted to expose him to the truth, you know. And a lot of times I'll, I'll kind of second-guess that. I think is there more? Maybe there's more I should say, more I should, should do. But as God gives me an opening, I'm trying to be more faithful to, to walk into it and, you know, say whatever he wants me to say in that, in that moment. Let me pray for you. Any, any, any of you guys feel that this is something that, God is, I mean, you could use more of this, more boldness, more courage, be strong and courageous in the Lord, right? Okay, well, let me, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the gift of your Son. We thank you that he gave all to us, and he did not shrink back from anything, that he walked in courage his entire life. And Lord, how can we do any less than, than to, to, to be strong and courageous for you? Lord, we ask that you would fill us with your spirit. You would um, transform us and make us bold in your name. Lord, that, that we would not be content to let our coworkers and our neighbors and our family members um, just live out their lives without hearing the truth, that we would be willing and, and ready to, to speak truth to them, your truth, regardless of the cost that it might be. Lord, may we not be cowards. 
Lord, help us to be strong and courageous. And I'm asking that you would make this true in each one of us, that, that, that as you made it true in Jeremiah, that if we would say, I will not remember him or speak anymore in his name, then in my heart it becomes like a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I would be weary of holding it in, and we would not be able to endure it. That you, Lord, would be with us like a dread champion. That it would be, it, it's you, all you anyway. As, as Jesus said in, in John 15, that apart from him, we can do nothing. So we're asking you to, that you would help us to abide in you. That then through us, you'd, be, you'd accomplish many things. We thank you that you, that that's how you do it. That you, you reach the world for your, through your people, through your hands, your feet, your, your body. And Lord, we, we confess to you that we have, we have shrunk back. We have been afraid. And we're asking today for a new beginning, that we would uh, be bold in your name. It's in Jesus' name we ask. Amen.